Hi, my name is Grant. We're at Coffee House right now on Friday night, and uh, you're listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman, and I am your moderator today. Joining me, as always, is Young Families Pastor Dan Marcello. Hey, everyone. Uh, Worship Director Scott Reed. Good afternoon. And, as always, Associate Pastor Bill Calvin. Hello there. Um, Why didn't I get an as always? I don't want to talk about <laughs> you it. You remembered my job title this time. I, I'm yeah. so proud. I, I literally prepared all of yesterday. I practiced that intro all of yesterday. Uh, Scott, since you're uh, not as always, would you mind opening us in prayer? Of course. Dear Lord, thank you for this time we have to come together in this unique way and discuss the truth of your word as you've given it to us. Uh, Lord, I pray for your blessing on this time um, that we would grow in our understanding and knowledge of you and that what we say would be true and helpful to those who hear it. God, we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, Scott, take it away. All right. Would you rather, this one's easy, would you rather be attacked by a giant snake or by piranha fish. Well, so here's my thought. Uh, giant snake, I think the rule of thumb is, at least with scorpions, it's the bigger the snake, the less venomous. So I feel like getting attacked by a giant snake, like as long as it doesn't catch me, I'm not going to get wrapped up. So you go with snake. I go snake. I am on team snake. Team snake. I'm going with the piranha fish because I'm just going to get out of the water. Get out of the water, they can't get you. You, okay. raise a, you raise a valid point. Are you are you even in the water when the piranha fish is trying to attack you? Because if it's on land, I choose the piranha fish 100%. You don't really want to meet a piranha fish, but at the same time, at least you can get out of the water and get What safe. if you're like in the middle That's of what I'm like saying. a lake? If, if you could just get out of the water, how did piranha continue to exist? Get back in the boat. Ooh. Mm. Get out of the inner tube. Oof. Get back in the boat. I don't know why you're tubing where there's piranha. I'll take the snake. Thank you. Piranha just scare me. It's because of all those, not many movies, but the movies I've seen where they attack, it's all over. You watch horror movies? No. Why no. have you seen movies about piranhas eating people? I Well, you always are scanning channels, and so, whoa, and what's going you're, on here? You're bound to find piranhas <laughs> <Yeah>. eventually. <laughs> We're all dead anyway, whether it's a snake or a fish. No way. No, <laughs> you're not dead if it's a snake. You can definitely be the snake. But if it's poison. And the giant poison. I'd snake. rather go fast. Yeah, I, I just, Bill can outrun the snake. Well, Bill no, no, no. I mean, let the rattlesnake kill me. I, that's better than being just uh, slowly alive. Yeah. I think, it for me, I'm assuming the snake is on land and the piranha are in the water, and that's the deciding factor for me. I, I love the ocean, but I am freaked out by things under the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I don't want to be in the water and, like, have something near me, especially something dangerous, skeeves me out. If the snake were also in the water, that kind of changes things. I think I'd still go with the snake. But assuming the snake is on land, I'd definitely go with the snake. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Team snake. Sorry, Dan. Sorry, I'm Dan. sorry. <laughs> Just get back in the I'm boat. I'm starting to rethink Dan. it, too. No. I, I, I don't know. Dan, you locked in. Dan, you should use that same argument. Assuming that the piranha are on land. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in the rules. Because snakes true. can climb trees. So don't try to climb trees, fellas. I've never seen a piranha climb a tree, but... I haven't either. 
All right. Well, with that intro, let's get into the topic of the week. Uh, topic of the week this week uh, is brought to you by the 2020 Youth Banquet. Uh, Youth Banquet, join us for a night of food, theater, and friendship. This night is put together by the youth in our church as a fundraiser for their summer on-mission trip and student retreats. Tickets will be sold for $15 apiece, which covers the cost of food, banquet expenses, and provides a small donation towards the support of students. Purchase your tickets online at bloomingdalechurch.org slash youth-banquet or outside of the Common Grounds room after the services on April 4th, 5th, 11th, 12th, 18th, and 19th. The Youth Banquet 2020. Today's topic of the week is continuing this series that we've had about why is the Bible still relevant? Is the Bible still relevant? And I want to get into, uh, as we move into this, this penultimate um, discussion about it, uh, of how we can trust the Bible. Um, we talk a lot about the Bible being uh, the Word of God, um, about it being divinely inspired. Um, and there's a lot of theology that goes into the inspiration of the Bible and inspiration of different parts of the Bible. If the Bible is from God... It seems like to me that it's kind of odd that there are parts of the Bible that seem to contradict each other. There are parts, there are parts where the narrative evolves, but there are also parts where um, the first example I want to go to uh, is in First and Second Corinthians, um, and even a little bit in Timothy, when Paul says, "Hey, uh, I am now speaking to you as me, Paul, in my opinion." And in that instance, he's talking about marriage in in First Corinthians and. In 2 Corinthians, he's talking about boasting. He says, I'll boast not as the Lord would, but as I, Paul, will. Um, if Scripture is divinely inspired, is, are those sentences where Paul says, I'm speaking for me, not for God, still divinely inspired? The way I look at it is, I think this is actually a case for the, the truth and the authority of the Bible. Hmm. You get someone like Paul who wrote a vast majority of the New Testament saying, hey, he can clearly delineate between what's inspired and what is his own opinion. And he's not saying like it at the in every chapter, it's a couple of select instances, but he's able to say like, hey, this is this is like me talking now. Hmm. And they will delineate that from when God is speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking through him, inspiring him in his writings and his teachings. They say like, hey, this is this is me talking now, like a little aside. <laughs> It actually gives me more confidence in the Bible itself. So why would Paul make the decision to step away from writing exclusively from what God is telling him to insert his own opinion? When it comes to the First Corinthians 7, I think it's because it's so different from person to person as to whom they're going to marry. Hmm. And I really see that as part of the inspiration of the Scriptures, that he didn't fall into the trap and saying, here, this is the way it is. Hmm. That's the way it is every time. This is what makes the scripture so awesome in my mind. He's writing to people who are going to ultimately read this in India hmm. and the United States, where we approach marriage very differently. Hmm. And he's got a good word for both cultures. One thing that kind of comes out of that sometimes is when we're talking about, you know, Paul writing to his culture. You know, uh, the young adults group did a study on Timothy over the summer, and when he's talking about, you know, women in ministry, when he's talking about, you know, women and men's behavior in, you know, in the temple, one way that that gets talked about a lot is this is Paul's opinion, you know, this is him writing to that culture, this isn't necessarily, you know, um, true throughout all of time. How do we, you know, how do we get truth out of the Bible when... You know, it's not always 
as easy as reading what this letter says and taking it at face value? I think the Bible is not simply a handbook to life. Hmm. There are issues that we deal with today that are not brought up in the Bible. So it's not like a comprehensive point mm-hmm. by point, this is how you live every day, let's make sure we cover all the issues all the time, but it's God's revelation of himself to us. Mm-hmm. So I think in some instances, it can if we get too bogged down in thinking of the Bible as like our our handbook, our guidebook that's, that's providing all the pieces of everything we need to know about everything, uh, ultimately it's providing everything God thinks we need to know about him. And I think that looking for God and looking for Jesus, like we talked about last week, that's that's the most important thing. Hmm. Um, I think uh, looking at the Bible and just how how different the the books are, like you mentioned, Max, you have poetry, you have things like the Book of Job, a story, one story, you know, stretched out over forty chapters of a man struggling with suffering and his friend's response. You have Psalms, Proverbs, just many books of history. You have the New Testament epistles written to specific churches for specific reasons. And it just adds so much to the richness. In my, I don't think it takes away from, I think, just the fact that the Bible is, some might say, patchwork, but it's like a wonderful quilt hmm. that God wove together over so many years. And it is so cohesive. And, and I really can't think of an instance, having studied the Bible for 20 years now, you know, of a, the Bible actually contradicting itself or saying something that's... It is like postulated is true in one part that ultimately says no, it's not true in this other part. For a document written over the span of thousands of years, yeah, it's incredible. Just the themes that are woven throughout of God's love, and I don't see any contradictions at all. I'm glad you said that because I think the accusation that the Bible has contradictions is pretty shallow. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is I can think of an instance right off the top of my head where there is what looks to be a severe contradiction. Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a man according to his folly, or you will become like him yourself. The very next verse. Answer a man according to his folly, (laughs) or he will think himself wise. So obviously the writer isn't contradicting himself mm-hmm. in the very next sentence. He's got a message there, and it's a paradox. He's saying sometimes it's this way, sometimes it's that way, and this is why. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I think, good. That gives me something to think about my whole life when, mm-hmm. when you see paradox. Mm-hmm. And Niels Bohr, the great chemist, said, whenever I get to paradox, I realize I'm getting close to the truth. (laughs) He was seeing things in chemistry that just did not add up. They were contradictory. But but is it contradictory? Well, no, it's it's taking you deeper, and that's why he became a great scientist. I think we see just, I I know there's people in our church that have shared this story with me, and as well as others in the culture, like mainstream Christian authors that have actually set out to, to disprove the Bible and the authenticity of it. And have ended up coming to the conclusion that it's the truth through exhaustive study. Like, mm-hmm. And there have just been so many things people have used as an argument to say the Bible is not true, whether through archaeology. And inevitably, it always comes up that the Bible was proved right. Mm-hmm. For a while, it was like King David never appears in anything else until they found a stone where King David's name appeared. 
you know, just time after time, the Bible has proved accurate. When you, in your own life, whether it's years ago or even today, like encounter parts of the Bible that don't make sense, parts of the Bible that seem, uh, you know, at first blush to be inconsistent, how do you go about making sense of the Bible? You know, knowing that God is consistent, that God is the same, and that, as Scott said, Mm -hmm. the Bible is what God gives us to learn about him, to see him. You know, how do you go about making sense of of difficult parts of Scripture? When I'm at my best, I'm on my knees praying. (laughs) Because this is what I believe about the Bible. The Bible was not intended for a readership of people with PhDs. It was intended for the simplest person. The Proverbs even makes the call of, come to me, all you who are simple, which could be interpreted as slightly mentally deficient. Come to me, all you who are simple, and God will open up the treasures of his wisdom to you. And I've seen this with my own eyes, where people who are very simple, even mentally deficient, are living lives that are very productive, spirit-filled, they're thriving, and it's because they are obeying what God has showed them. I think that's what's so awesome about the Christian life when it's lived the way we're supposed to live it, when we walk in the Spirit and count on the Spirit to teach us what our own minds just can't really teach us. I think I definitely agree with what Bill's saying about praying about it and I think there's value in having people around you that know the Bible well that you can go to and say, hey, I've got this question. You know, people that aren't going to be like getting down on you or judging you for like, well, you don't know. But people that you trust and people that are, are wise, godly people to say, hey, you know, I, and I, my wife is one of those people for me. If I come across something that I'm just a little stumped on, just in addition to praying, just going to her and being able to say, hey, I've got this question. What, what, what do you think? And I think there's real value to to that and what God's taught other people that they can and kind of impart to you. There's real value in simply saying, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. This is something I've been thinking about. I've never figured it out. Mm-hmm. I think we all, all of us here working at a church, I think we pastors, I think we still come to those moments sometimes of we don't know either. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's a strange assumption or a strange perspective to go into the Bible thinking that it's all going to make sense. Hmm. If the Bible is God's word, if the Bible is God's revelation of himself, and, it, and we could fully comprehend all of it all the time really easily, what kind of God is that? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. God is beyond yes. us. You know, we can understand some things, but even what we understand is, you know, shrouded by our own limitations. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, there are parts of the Bible... There are parts of the Bible that we as Christians are are perfectly okay not understanding, and yet then we get to other parts and we think we need to come up with a solution. I think a perfect example is the Trinity. Three in one, both simultaneously. We as a church, we're just like, not Bloomingdale, but just the Christian church. We're like, yep, that's the way it is. Can I explain it? Nope. <laughs> um, but that's what it is. Uh, or like Jesus being fully God and fully man. You know, there are these sort of these sort of pithy paradoxes that we're very okay with. And then we get to paradoxes like, okay, well, the Bible seems to somehow both affirm predestination and free will. 
well, let's fight about this for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are just, there are things that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And some of that we're very okay with and others really kind of give us pause. But the reality is God is bigger than we are and we're not going to understand all of it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think we have to be okay with that. Yeah. Because otherwise we just end up spinning our wheels on stuff that doesn't matter and, and lose sight of, you know, taking care of the widow and the orphan, mm. doing justice and mm. loving people the way God intended. Yeah. So what does it look like to become, what's the process of becoming okay with those? I don't even know what you call them. I don't know if it's like gaps, if it's doubts, if it's mysteries. What's the process of coming to a place of satisfaction where you say, I know that there are things I don't understand about this, but I can still look at the Bible and say, I know that this is God's word. I know that what's in it is true. I know that, um, as he says in Timothy, you know, it's God breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and, and all of these things. How do you make that step? That's what I find appealing about the Bible is that I don't understand everything, Mm. that it's not one dimensional. It's not simplistic. There's a depth. I think if I were to live to be a thousand years old, I'd probably still be scratching my head saying, I just still don't really think I'm grasping this. And I don't mean just intellectually. I mean obedience-wise. Mm-hmm. Yesterday I was reading Matthew Henry and First Corinthians, and it just really resonated with me. He was talking about preaching the gospel and being of no burden to the Corinthians, mm-hmm. that he worked while he brought the gospel to them, and that he enjoyed this, and Nobody could take it away from him. And I thought, I finally understand this at a new level. And it's because of Alpha. In Alpha, we have a free meal every week. And a guest will usually be in line next to me, and they'll say, I don't see the box for donations. Hmm. Yeah, there isn't any. Well, I want to give you some money for this. I know this food costs money. I said, well, this is really already been paid for and we're citing the scripture freely you have received freely give Mm. and if we ever get in trouble we'll let you know but now it's been 17 years and we haven't gotten in trouble yet it's and, and this is the point i want to make the unbeliever coming to alpha receiving free meals week after week their their walls go down they begin to think this isn't about money. This religion that these people are talking about is not about money. I've always thought that church was about money. Sure. And now I see that it doesn't have to be about money. It can, it can really be about Jesus. And this is what causes them to become open-minded and ultimately turn to Jesus. And that's what Paul was living every day of his life. Hmm. He was seeing people who were very antagonistic come in and listen to him preach And they realize he's doing this for free. Mm -hmm. He is living like this with great devotion, real sacrifice. There must be something to his message. And that only turned the world upside down. Sure did. The question you posed, Max, of what does this process look like? I think, not to sound trite in any way, but I think it's a lot about faith. I think it's putting our faith just like we 
when we're saved by Christ, putting our faith in him, coming coming to the end of ourselves and realizing it's not about like the good works that we do. We we we're broken, we're sinful people and we need a savior. This idea of coming to the Bible and just being able to let go of the fact that our control and the fact that we don't know everything hmm. and to say, God, I accept it at face value, put my faith not only in you, but in your word, that this is your word to me personally and to the world. You know, I, I like the quote from C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe talking about Aslan. The very end of the book says, he's not a tame lion, but he is good. <laughs> like the Bible might not be tame, it may not be fully understandable by us, and is not. Hmm. But we can trust that God is good, and it is his message to us, even though we can't control it, even though it, sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. Hmm. I think it, it is, you know, it, it's a process. I, I've heard people talk about kind of the, the deeper you get into, the deeper you get into the faith, the more aware you are of your own sin. As you mature through your faith, you know, the first first part of your faith should be primarily interacting with who Jesus is and what he did. You know, his death on the cross, his resurrection. And then you start to branch out. And I think um, when I was younger, I think some of these things, they required more intellectual wrestling from me. Sure. I think, again, the, the example that I, I really find very satisfying is the ex- predestination versus free will. You know, how, how can I understand this? Some people are hardcore one party, some are the other. I think the Bible kind of has both. How does that work? And, and it trying to come up with analogies or, or ways of understanding that would satisfy. And uh, over the time, I've just gotten to the point of like, well, I don't really get it. And that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, or like with young earth versus old earth, there was a time when I really like engaged in that, like got to kind of figure this out. And I, over time, I like, well, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. Um, so I think, you should wrestle with these things, but then I think you come to a point of just kind of being able to surrender them and be like, this is not the most important thing. I don't need to understand this. God understands it, and that's enough. You know, so one of the things that we talked about in preparation for today is is Leviticus and moving into the New Covenant, um, you know, how, how uh, even we on this side of Jesus coming and dying and rising again we still find value in books that were meant to lay out Israelite society. Mm-hmm. Could you speak at all into, you know, how I, a 25-year-old in 2020, now that it, it sometimes seems like Jesus came and he, like, kicked that all out the window and doesn't really matter anymore, doesn't impact me anymore, like, how, what do I, what can I still take out of sections like that, um, sections like even some parts of Judges as well? There are things, uh, the one that I had in my mind were all of these laws. There were just so many rules to follow. Some of them were such that if you, if you broke this rule, you had to live outside the camp for a day. Yeah. And I never really thought about this until I was at a table full of women, and we were all reading the Bible through in the summertime. And they said, boy, God's really got it in for us. We just have to be outside the camp every time we have our menstrual cycle, every time we mm-hmm. touch something unclean. Well, because women are doing a lot of work uh, with food and with children, mm-hmm. it, it, it opened my eyes to, yes, you're outside the camp. 
seemingly every day. Hmm. The men are outside the camp a lot if they follow the rules too. Every time they have a wet dream, you're outside the camp. You touch a dead carcass, you're outside the camp. Mm-hmm. And I began to think, who was inside the camp? I mean, really, maybe it was a case where the vast majority, if they were being honest, had to be outside the camp for the day. And then it would happen again the next day and the next day. And Moses himself would have to be outside the camp over and over and over and over again. I thought, what a great message. We're all human. Nobody's perfect. Nobody can keep all these rules. Some of these rules are completely out of our control. A woman can't say, well, I'm just not going to have my cycle. I'm just not going to do that. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. These things just happen spontaneously. A little child growing up this way would see the great Moses outside the camp. And I think we'd all be so much more real. Everybody would become comfortable in their own skin that I just don't measure up. I am not mm. God. I, mm. I just am a human being. It reminds me of Jesus. He was crucified outside the camp. Yes. As a criminal. Yes. As a human being. Identifying with us. So it'd be easy to just brush over those kind of passages and say, ah, it's just too much. It's too complicated. But if you get a bird's eye view of it, you begin to see, this is pretty cool. Yeah. I had never considered the fact that, like, oh, yeah, Moses was, like, ceremonially unclean all the time and, like, would probably have to leave, you know, the... It never, like, occurred to me. So, like, even Moses, like... Even Moses can't save himself. Right. Even Moses is not yeah. qualified for one day to keep himself from sinning, to keep himself from yeah. from deserving all the things that we just talked about last week of Jesus taking that from us. And I'd, I'd always, or I have occasionally thought about, you know, the the ceremonial uncleanness of women who are, you know, menstruating. And that seemed kind of weird or unfair, whatever it is. But I think, you know, it's like exactly what you were just saying, Bill, you know, just by being human, we don't measure up. It's just, it's fundamental to who we are. You know, we have this stain of original sin that even these things, Mm -hmm. like before we were born because of, you know, because of Adam and Eve's failure in the garden, like we, we don't measure up. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just part of, like the situation that we're in right now, um, in addition to the things that we have control over, which we also don't measure up in. Hmm. Uh, and I want to interject this quote. I was surprised I was able to find it because um, I thought it was in a different book, but it was A.W. Tozer, so that makes sense. Um, but I think this just really ties in really well to what we were talking about before. He says, God will not hold us responsible to understand the mysteries of election, predestination, and the divine sovereignty. The best and safest way to deal with these truths is to raise our eyes to God and in deepest reverence say, O Lord, Thou knowest. Mm -hmm. Those things belong to the deep and mysterious profound of God's omniscience. Prying into them may make theologians, but it will never make saints. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Before we wrap up, does anybody have any final thoughts to add? I got all day. (laughs) (laughs) i've got all day well before we uh take off i want to go around uh one chance to give some plugs for the week um dan you want to start us off sure i would invite anyone with kids ages birth through 18 again to our young families especially the sunday school class 9 45 10 45 in the coffee house 
We're doing a Stone to Start a series starting at Red, the weekend after Easter, the 19th of April, on the Colossians. So as Pastor David's preaching, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. So I invite anyone who's interested to come and join us. We'd love to have you. This is the last week I'll plug this because I think it's still there's still time uh, to join the Good Friday Choir. We've had two rehearsals and we've got another six or so. So uh, the music's coming along really quickly. So if you want to join, there's definitely still time. Rehearsals are Saturday mornings from 9.30 to 11. We're going to be singing three pieces. Finally got the one that was out of print. It came in. We're going to sing three pieces <laughs> and a hymn. It's going to be awesome. Hope to see you there. I'm thinking about something this summer called Financial Peace University 2.0. Mm-hmm. We've got things that I'm really looking forward to. Um, Roger Smith, a certified financial planner, is coming in. And if you want in- information about how can you really have a retirement, come and be part of it. Lou Pavoni is going to do something on estate planning for a couple of weeks. I think Vince DePaul is going to do something about real estate investing. This is going to be really awesome, and it's free, but it could really help you with your your personal finances. Awesome. Listeners, if you have questions that you would like us to talk about, if you've got would-you-rathers, if you've got anything uh, that you want to send to the show, you can send it to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. Now a real email address. I have received an email through it. Nice. Well, that is... Everything we've got, thank you so much. We went in a really cool direction, and I didn't know we were going to go that way. So thank you. Uh, Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Max. Bill, would you like to say, this is the Bloomingdale Church Podcast? This is the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, (laughs) brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, (laughs) the heart of the nation. So this is a, a Pokemon. Pokemon, yeah. Okay. This Pokemon is called Snorlax. <sighs> it's a portmanteau of snore and relax. Oh. Uh, so it's, he uh, he's famous for, in Sleeping. the games, all he does is like sleep uh, until you wake him up, at which point he attacks you. So, okay. uh, so he's kind of a like a mascot of the franchise. And my sister gave me this shirt for Christmas a couple years ago. And it's just Snorlax, and he just says, not today. Okay. It's very much a lazy... Glad to hear that. I was thinking it was a word about the second coming. (laughs) 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 Snorlax has been studying the scriptures, and he's determined that it's not today. It's not today. (laughs) I was also thinking... Excuse me. Um, I was also thinking, Max, when you were talking about how can we deal with these things that are challenging or, or whatever it's interesting i was reading up a little bit on mormonism last night it's mormonism is it's just really hard to get a grasp on i was when i was researching it for the small group it's it, because they, they say these things that you know this is what we believe but then like the writings of joseph smith like are way out there and like they condemn polygamy but joseph smith had like 40 wives and it's just really weird it's like what do you actually believe because your founder wrote these things and these things are in it's really strange. Yeah. But um, what it said was like this idea of um, they believe in continuing revelation. I think that they they believe that uh, all of their presidents are prophets, and they believe that God 
says different things at different times. Uh, in other words, they're like, they essentially, it sounds like, believe in like inconsistencies in, in God's revelation. And, mm. and so functionally, they can change whatever they want. Um, you know, polygamy is kind of getting us some flack. Well, uh, I have received a new revelation from the Lord that polygamy was only for then and not for now anymore. Sure. They can do that on anything. Yeah. Wow. And so I think the fact that we, we have... Blacks. I was going to say yeah. in 1973. Yeah, the fact that we have, you know, this is our revelation from God. You know, nothing shall be added to it or taken away from it. Like, this is it. I think it... it That's intense. We have more credibility than the people like... Like the Mormons and other people too. Like, no, it's it's yeah. changing. It's How many a, times did the Jehovah's Witnesses say the world was going to end? Five, man. man. And then they conveniently forget that part, and now that gets swept under the rug. Right. It's like uh, honestly, it makes me think of oh, drop my wedding ring. Yeah, one of those times happened <laughs> in my lifetime. Really? Yeah, it was in the 1970s. If there are doubts, if you've got stuff that you like, who do I go to? I I've got this question about whatever it is in the Bible. Like we don't claim to know all the answers. And but we'd love to sit with you, hear what you've got to say, pray with you through it, help help you in any way we can.